Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 15th, 2017. It's episode 2065 of the Survival Podcast. And it is a Tuesday. That means it is a Just Jack show. This is where I come to you with an individual subject and we pick it apart. A lot of times I do shows like this on like hard skills or general prepping topics or something like solar or you know something like that, right? Today we're actually going to do something a little more etherical. We're going to talk about, well, I'll just put it this way. I called the title of today's show, There's a Shitstorm Brewing. And we're going to talk about this whole bifurcation of the extremes, the Antifa and the neo-Nazi world, and the multi-spectrums in between them, and how you're not getting the true story from anybody in real media, but you're getting pieces of it here and there that you can put together. And there are people in alternative media that really are telling you what's really going on. But most of alternative media is also not telling you. The very small minority here in the middle screaming the actual truth. And the problem for the minority in the middle, the, 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 and I don't mean like a centrist as far as the political spectrum, I just mean someone who's willing to look at the whole thing and go, yeah, I'm not picking a side, but here's what's going on. No matter how true you stay to that, you will get labeled as being part of one of the other extremes. And how dangerous that is. And how we are in what I call a dangerous feedback loop at this point. And I see basically three ways this goes forward, and we'll get to that in a bit, but if you think this is going to be what you've been hearing on talk radio or what you've been hearing on uh, Fox News or whatever, with the exception of a little five-minute outtake of a, a professor that I really like what she has to say... No, it's not. You're going to hear what that is not telling you. And you're not going to hear a case for why one is worse than the other. In fact, I'm going to tell you why that, in fact, is the problem. Before we get to that, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. Guys, there's probably not a week that goes by that I'm not using something from Western Botanicals as far as the herbal supplements in my life. Um, the, their turmeric blend anti-inflammatory is probably my favorite thing uh, to use when I'm kind of sore and achy over something like a NASAD, like Advil, Motrin, etc., or something like a Tylenol or even an aspirin. Uh, it, it really works well. Their deep heat ointment, too. Man, that stuff's great. They have so many great products at Western Botanicals. They actually have a philosophy. They don't just want to be the provider of, you know, potions and lotions and stuff like that. They actually want to be able to provide you the raw herbs if you want to do things themselves. In fact, their goal, their overriding goal, is an herbalist in every house. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. For you MSB members, remember, they give you a premium membership valued at 50 bucks just for being a member of the MSB. That pays for your membership all in itself. Next up, ready-made resources. Ready-made resources, I always say they are the company that does what they say and says what they do. All the resources you need ready-made, ready to go on their website. And I mean, I got everything. Solar and wind products, you know, 12-volt appliances to go with them, uh, long-term food storage, you name it. Whatever it is you want to increase your preparedness, ready-made resources have it. Check them out today at readymaderesources.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was. The year that was, this year is the year 45 A.D., 
Our little history segment here. We have one segment today from David Verne called Marriage Woes. Claudius, who was, of course, the emperor of Rome at this time, had never had much luck with women during his life. His physical defects made engagements difficult. His first engagement ended for political reasons. His second bride-to-be died on her way to the altar. He divorced his first wife on charges of adultery and tried to, trying to murder her sister-in-law. And his second marriage was to Sinjanus' daughter, but Claudius divorced her quickly when Sinjanus was accused of treason. His current wife is a member of Caligula's court called Valeria Miscellanea. The marriage worked out well, with Miscellanea happy to become part of the imperial family, and Claudius was happy because she advocated for him not to be ex executed by the mad Caligula. She had two children, Claudia Octavia, born 39 A.D., who will eventually marry Nero, and Britannicus, born 41 A.D., who was named after the recent victories in Britain. She worried about losing her newfound power because Claudius was getting older at 55 and had a history of medical problems. While their heir apparent, Britannicus, was still very strong, with the help of Narcissus, she carried out a secret purge of anyone she saw as a threat. And because there were so many real assassination plots against Claudius, that whenever she brought a list of names, Claudius approved it without a second thought. My take by David Verne. It wasn't just Claudius' age that had Melissa worried. It was her own action. She had multiple affairs with everyone, from senators to actors, and once had a competition with a famous prostitute to see who could sleep with more men in a day. Miscellanea won. It seems that no one wanted to tell Claudius what was going on, and he remained the one person in the empire who didn't know about her activities. She tries to build a power base independent of Claudius for when eventually does find out the culminate in a few years with a plan. This will culminate in a few years with a plan So hilariously bad that I'm shocked she lived as long as she did. Uh, indeed. Um, uh, the, safe, the soap opera that is ancient Rome continues. My God. Um, let's put aside uh, Valeria's uh, throwing it around, so to say. And I, I just think that maybe the lesson here is how easy it was to manipulate Claudius because he had reason to believe there were people out to get him. That, that, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, oh, here's some people that need to be executed. Okay. I mean, people were trying to kill him all the time. You tell me this guy's got to go. Okay, better them than me. Fine. Um, when you feel that you are backed into a corner, you will do things you otherwise would not. Keep that in mind as we go through today's show. Before we do that, let's go ahead and remind you about the MSB. I actually don't want to tell you why you should join the MSB today. I want to tell existing members a little announcement. We will be upgrading the MSB on Saturday between 8 a.m. and 12 noon. I will have a blog post that goes out later this week to reinforce this announcement. But basically for about four hours, you will probably not be able to access the MSB, and certainly no one will be able to renew or sign up in that four-hour window. There is a chance that during that four-hour window, some of you who are supposed to auto-renew may fail to auto-renew. It's a chance. It may or may not happen that way. If it does... I will fix it for you. That's actually a time of day when PayPal tends not to be running renewals, which is one of the reasons we, we chose it. And it's a Saturday, so it's not a work day, so I have the ability to focus my full attention to the upgrade while it's going on. But the software that runs the MSB is about eight years old. And it's time for a completely new back end, and that's being done. I've invested in that. The background work's been going on for over two months now. It's not been two months of steady work, but... The guy I have doing it, you know, I'm not his only client, and he had a full-time job until recently. He's finally now full-time back to his own thing. Um, just, you know, it takes time to do something that's complicated. Uh, but uh, 
you know, and what makes it complicated is moving all the old members into the new system and making sure everything doesn't break. Uh, but that is coming. So uh, I will say this. If you're not a member yet and you're considering becoming one, tune in Monday because as long as everything goes well, we'll have a celebratory sale on the MSB. All right. So now off to worse news. Usually I say off to better news, right? Off to worse news. Let's talk about what's going on right now in this country with this bifurcation to the extreme. And I want to start out why I'm even talking about this today. I got up today in a good mood. And I was going to talk about something to do with homesteading or gardening or ducks or guns or some damn thing better than this. And uh, I checked out Facebook, and it was worse worse this morning than it was yesterday. And uh, But I did find a lot of good resources through it uh, to better be able to understand what's going on perfectly. But I found some resources I'll be using today to help explain what's going on a little bit better. And uh, it's important that you guys understand today that nothing I say, nothing I say should be construed to say that either side in this debate is better than the other one. In fact, the graphic for today's show was already put out on Facebook, and it is a picture of a bunch of cockroaches. And on the left, which is done intentionally, by the way, just for ironic purposes, on the left is Nazi flag with a bunch of Nazis underneath it doing the uh, Heil Hitler sign here in America with American Nazi flags. And on the right, which again is done for, I don't know if anybody picked up on it yet, that I, I inverted those on purpose just to prove that there is no real difference here. But there's a good old-fashioned communist flag with the hammer and the sickle, and below that there's a bunch of Antifa assholes with their ANCOM flags and their black hoods and black mask faces. And this is what it says above the cockroaches. If you're arguing about who is worse, communists or fascists, you're simply arguing over exactly which species of cockroach you want to have infesting your house. So, I say that up front so that you will take everything that I say today when I give some mitigating circumstances for people that are associating themselves to one degree or the other, away from the center toward either of these groups, that you'll realize when you're talking about the actual people that really want you know, white supremacy or want true good old-fashioned Bolshevik communism in America, they're all cockroaches. They're all cockroaches. Should be sprayed with raid and go legs up. All right? So that should let me be honest and thorough in my examination of this without you going, ah, oh, you've become a communist, or some stupid shit like that, because I know I'm going to hear it. Right? The reason I'm talking about this today is I believe it is, is building to a point where depending on what happens in the next year, it could present a real and present danger to us all. All of us. Because if either side wins any level of true dominance in this country, we all lose, including many of the people involved with the movements that are working for it. Even the tr some of the true believers, the not the pseudo-cockroaches, the true cockroaches will be cannibalized by their own roaches. I believe this is an important issue, and that's why I'm discussing it today. 
But I also often say these people really want the same things, and people are confused by that because I know you went to you went to high school and college, and some teacher of history or civics or some shit like that at some point stood up in front of you at a chalkboard or a whiteboard or maybe now they use a PowerPoint slide, and they put up the political spectrum, and they had you know a center and they had a right and a left, and they had Republicans you know maybe. 30% down the right side, and then Democrats 30% down the left side of the spectrum. And then they had various things in between, libertarians a little further right, etc., socialists a little further left, and all the way out on the far left, communists, all the way out on the far right, fascists, diametrically opposed. I actually remember when I was in high school, and this I remember verbatim, An actual good history teacher named uh, Mr. Larson, we called him Dr. Larson because he had a Ph.D. in history. Okay, a really qualified guy to be teaching at the high school level, but even he got it wrong. But he actually got it right, but the analogy that was right really didn't explain what I'm about to explain to you now. Here's what I mean. He said, basically, if you get a Republican capitalist and a social democrat into a room together, they will immediately begin debating their ideas. But if you get a fascist and a communist in the room together, they'll get into a knife fight and try to kill each other. Now, he's actually right. The hallmark of the true Nazi fascist and the communist is violence against all opposition, which means... They're the same. They might have some different marketing around their ideologies, but here's what, where they are the same, why they represent the same to everybody who's not one of them. Okay, that's what you have to understand. They're the same to everybody that's not one of them. Because it doesn't matter that you oppose the, the fascist to the communist if you also oppose the communist. So what do they want? They want total control for their side. That's what they want. They want complete and total control. If you are not with them, you are against them, you are the enemy. Number two, they will, they will use violence to oppose anybody, violence against all that oppose them. That is, a, that is a trademark use. If you look at what Antifa's doing right now, they're pulling these statues down, and they're using cover. There are people that have legitimate social concerns. I'm not saying they're right, but they have legitimate concerns about things like the symbology of having uh, a general that, that, that served for the Confederacy sitting in one of our parks today, right? I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying they, they, there's people that are voicing a concern that you can at least listen to and go, well, I understand where you're coming from, All right? And the media is coddling that side. So then Antifa, who wants to break and destroy shit, can go tear down a statue under that cover, cover fire. But in the end, what they want is violence. They want destruction because that's how they win. And you could say, well, I don't see that happening from the alt-right. Well, alt-right is a flavor going in the degrees toward Nazism. Not everybody that's alt-right is a Nazi. And if you believe they are, you're listening to the TV too much. Not everybody that's for social justice, as ludicrous as I think the concept is, is Antifa. Not everybody that's part of the Black Lives Matter group is also part of Antifa, and not everybody that's part of Antifa is supporting Black Lives Matter. 
You got all these groups that are flavors within the spectrum gravitating toward one side of these extremes. But the extremes on both sides advocate the use of violence. Both use race as a divisive point. Both use race as a divisive point. If I have to explain that to you, you're not paying attention. White people suck, as far as Antifa is concerned, unless you're self-loathing as a white person and join them, and then you're okay. And of course, if you are a white supremacist Nazi, then everybody but white people is bad, even though some of those people you see in those, look, I'm talking about the far end movement, you look at them and go, Master Race, hey, well that gene pool's getting mighty shallow. You guys know what I'm talking about. But they both use that race. Both are socialists. Everything they stand for comes back to socialism. What you basically have is a national socialism and a globalist socialism. That's like saying, what type, which kidney do you want cancer in? Which kidney would you like cancer in? Oh, neither, please. Well, no, you got to pick one. That's socialism, all right? And then neither, except for the, what I'm talking about here is the mainstream group, is these flavors that, that, that gravitate toward one side or the other that are not really in control of it, really understand what they're doing. The idiots running around that are the true antifas, not the paid protesters, boy, they're there. We'll get to that. They don't really understand what would happen if they won. They have no effing idea. They don't get it. Well, the true Nazis, they don't either. They're both being they're both being moved and controlled here by invisible hands. And if you don't believe that yet, you may by the time I'm done talking today. But let's let's for a minute let's look at how this helps the people that are currently in power. Number one, the the the, the textbook for controlling the American people back to the dawn of government has been divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's I mean think about it. That's the well. What's step one of divide and conquer? What's the first thing you do to divide and conquer? You divide. If you already got division. You're halfway there with no effort. Maybe you stoke the flames a little bit. Because the more division you get, the easier conquering becomes. Well, we're sitting on Facebook arguing with people that used to be our friends about which cockroach is better to have infesting our home. No one's now paying attention at all to all the things that the government's been doing to screw people's lives up for so many years. And so many people on the right thought Donald Trump was going to fix It's just a free pass. It's just a free pass. A divided people are easy to conquer. Step one, divide. It's already done for you. Also, it's just an excuse to get shit done that they always want to get done. Do you know what cities are calling for right now, left and right across the spectrum? Cities. Not the, not the federal government. Cities. Gun control. We need gun control because of what happened in Charlottesville. Not a single gun was fired. A man drove into a crowd with a Dodge Charger. That's what happened. That Or Challenger, right? That is the only thing that happened. That is all that happened when it comes down to somebody being dead. Not a gun involved with anybody being dead. But we need gun control. Because, gee, an armed militia marched through town peacefully before the protest caused no trouble. We need gun control, though. 
And there are people that will buy into that. And that's only one example, because that's a retarded example, right? That doesn't even make any sense. So if you start thinking about, well, maybe we need more control over how we allow people to protest. Maybe free speech really doesn't just apply to everybody that wants to go out in the streets and discuss it. Maybe we need to be more selective of who we issue a permit to, even though the bulk of the problems in Charlottesville were caused by people that weren't issued a permit. I'm sorry, that's true. Again, remember, they're all roaches. I'm not sticking up. I'm talking about that individual instance. The people that caused the problem were no doubt the counter-protesters. Had they not shown up, your alt-right slash neo-Nazi slash white supremacist slash white nationalist, and there's different all of these, we're going to get to that in a second, would have all got together. They would have had their little little gathering of tiki torches the night before. They would have stood around in the park. They would have said their piece. No one would have really gave a shit. Everybody went home, and then the statue would have either stood or been taken down, regardless of what they had done. It is only by giving them resistance that we ended up with a problem. And when we got resistance and a problem, now we have calls for it. We have to do something. Think of the children, etc. So, gee, who do you think might wanted there to have been resistance? Do you think, like, well, you know, because I keep hearing this shit about the, the, the councilman or mayor or some shit of Charlottesville, you know, as some guy that, that, that instigated this whole take the statue down, and the people of Charlottesville really are not for taking the statue. Do you think, really, he was afraid that, hey, you know what, if they, if they come out here and protest, we won't be able to do... No, no. There's people way above his pay grade that benefit from this. Just think about that for a minute. Um, the problem is, it could all backfire. It could all backfire. Really, really, really badly. And before I explain that, I want to play for you now a little piece that's from the uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro show. I'm actually not a huge fan of Judge Jeanine Pirro. I'm really not. Um, but I do like what this lady has to say for the most part. So let's hear from her. She is a uh, professor, uh, Yale-educated professor. She's a black woman. And what she's about to talk about is the difference between white nationalism and white supremacy. So if anything you hear upsets you and you see it as racist, remember, this is a black woman, a very well-educated black woman, talking about this issue. The author of The New White Nationalism in America prophesied the rise of the alt-right 15 years ago in 2002. Dr. Carol Swain joins me now. Good evening, doctor. Good evening. All right. Well, doctor, I was reading about your 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 prophecy, basically, that the alt-right would uh, begin a, an even bigger development after the turn of the century. What brought you to this conclusion? Well, first of all, I would like to make it clear to everyone that's viewing that what I saw in 2000 was published in 2002, this rise of the new white nationalism, that occurred long before the election of President Trump. And I called it new to distinguish it from white supremacy because 
it was the people who were being involved were more intellectual. They were not espousing racial violence or using epithets, but they had grievances. They were upset about multiculturalism, about affirmative action. They felt that white people's rights were being trampled and that there were no one speaking up and listening to their grievances. And so at the time when they were really stressing the racial double standards, I saw the potential for the argument to resonate among young people. So my book was written as a warning. I saw conditions converging that I knew that the movement would grow unless we started addressing the issues. All right, so let me see if I understand this, Dr. Swain. What you're saying is the rise of the alt-right is not the same as uh, white supremacists. Now, right, yes, that, exa that is exactly what I'm saying. But, but the, 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 the alt-right that you predicted would increase is doing so because of you know, this multiculturalism and the fact that the whites don't feel like they can be part of it? What, what, is, what are you saying? I'm saying that white people have grievances and they've had them for a long time. And so back when I started working on the research for the new white nationalism, I saw that there were conditions that were converging to create a devil's brew for racial unrest. And what happened in uh, Charlottesville, and I'd like to say that Virginia is my home state, I think we're going to have more of that unless we start having honest dialogue about this. And it's not like one side is all guilty. What happened was tragic, but there's a lot of anger and frustration and fear and the white community, we know that they have their own problems. Charles Mary has written about their uh, problems. Uh, Nicholas Ebenstadt. All right, but but doctor, I mean, it, right now, I mean, we all abhor, detest any kind of violence based upon yes. hate, and yes. hate does ultimately lead to violence. Now, but are, aren't we talking about the extreme right and the extreme anti-fa left? And in fact, let me say one thing, Doctor, what we do know is that the one person who's dead uh, appears to be dead and nine others injured as a result of, we believe, a white nationalist, but there are an additional 11 people at least in, who are being treated in hospitals that were, that may have been injured in the fight between the Antifa and the white nationalists. Yes, and, and what I would say is that they're using white supremacy and white nationalists as terms to encompass everyone. Right. The movement that I studied were people who were more intellectual. They were not espousing violence. They were not using racial epithets. In fact, they were using social science data, FBI statistics, and science to make a case. And they were saying that they, would, that they were not white supremacists, that they wanted separatism, and they wanted uh, self-determination. They felt that white was like any other group. They couldn't celebrate their own culture. And so this is a very different group. At the time, I knew that some of the people who would be attracted to the movement would, would, would also fall into the clutches of the more extreme elements, the ones that are the neo-Nazis, the KKK, those groups. But for the most part, what I warned about and called the new nationalism was new because it was not espousing violence. It was not using racial epithets. It was saying white is like any other group. 
whites were being discriminated against. There was no one standing up. All right, the doctor, remedy right has before, to be. Wait, doctor, we're coming right up to a break here. But what you're saying is that the alt-right is different from these white supremacists, and we condemn all white supremacists for any acts of violence and acts of hate. We agree yes. on that. Yes, and we have, and I think there's some remedies. We need honest dialogue, conversations where people are listening to one another. Let's hope so. Dr. Carol Swain, thanks so much for joining us tonight. So I want to bring out one quote from what you just heard. She said, I distinguish it from white supremacy because the people who were involved were more intellectual They were not exposing racial violence or using epitaphs, but they had grievances. They felt white people's rights were being trampled on and no one was speaking up or listening to their grievances. That is spot on. And I am watching people defend the alt-right or the concept of white nationalism with those exact words. They're right, but they're still wrong. And you might wonder, how the hell is that possible? It is absolutely true that the rights and the culture of white America is being trampled on by the establishments of entertainment, media, and education in America today. And when a white person says, hey, this is bullshit, or hey, this is wrong, or hey, we should be able to do this, and it's a reasonable thing, we're basically told, you shut up, you're white, You have white privilege. You don't get to complain. You don't get to bitch. You're bad. And all these other poor people are oppressed. And it's not possible that the black people are... There's no black races. Only white people are racist. Shit like that. Okay. The problem is, this is a two-way street. There are people on the political left that are not complete nuts, that are not fascists, that are saying... Hey, look, there's a problem in the inner cities. And these, these, these people are growing up, and they're unable to access any of the things to get themselves out of that situation. And they're marginalized, and they're blamed for causing their own problems. And they're hearing, shut up, you're a libtard, social justice warrior, anti-fascist asshole, shut up, from the right. That's pretty much where we've gotten. If you are willing to be honest about the problems in our country, as soon as they don't line up with the ideology of one side of the extreme, you are shouted down as being the other extreme. And what's happening, and I saw a great video on Facebook, I'm not going to play today because it's like, oh, 12, 15 minutes long. Um, this Guy really has it spot on. Don't agree with everything he has to say, but I agree with the core main ideas. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can listen to it. The, these people towards the center, the centrist, the libertarian, the classic liberal, even the progressive, the conservative Republican, the socially conservative Republican, who actually is more of a Democrat when it comes to fiscal issues. Kind of a reverse thing, right? The conservative, who is very much a libertarian Republican, who's very conservative fiscally, 
but is completely open to whatever anybody wants socially as long as you don't want to make me pay for it. All of these people are getting to a point where they feel like white America has felt for the last 15 years. This woman's dead on. You, I felt if you're a white person and you live anywhere but in a bubble, you have to have felt this way at some point. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous if the answer becomes moving in the direction of which extreme group will accept you. Because you know if you feel that way, you don't, it doesn't matter where you are as, if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter. You can't move toward Antifa and say, hey. And like I said, that is say join Antifa. I said move in that direction at all. You can't move in that direction at all and say, hey, I think the white guys have a point. There was just recently, there's a woman running, I think, for Congress, for a like, special election runoff or a nomination or something like that, at, a, at a, a progressive convention. She's running for, like, in the Democrat Party against another woman who's black. And she was booed before she started speaking because she's white. And a black woman's running, so you should just get out. So you can't go in that direction. If you see any validity to what this black woman just said about white people at all, you can't move in that direction. Conversely, if you are pretty much a libertarian-leaning conservative, but you say, hey, look, we do have a problem with, with law enforcement. They are policing black America different than white America. What do you think all the people that are gravitating to that right side are going to say to you? What do you see all the time? Eric, I love it or leave it. Get out of here. Our, our boys fought and died for, for, for that flag, and you just disrespect it because those police officers are defending that flag. And they, they're beating that boy, and they need to beat his ass because he did some. I see stupid shit like this all the time. It's a giant feedback loop. It's like when you get the instrument too close to the electronics and it goes, and you can't be heard anymore. And what does this do? This grows both groups who are actually very, very, very small. Because, and I want to pause for a second and read something to you. There's a photo going around right now of this guy. He looks like a very angry, psychotic, evil Nazi holding a flag with some kind of a weird shout that he's doing. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, he has an article out now, and it says, I am not the angry racist they see. Alt-Rider became viral face of hate in Virginia and now regrets it. And he actually looks like kind of a The boy next door. Young guy, nice hair, clean shaven, you know. But he looks pretty psychotic in this picture. You can see his teeth, he's got his torch. And uh, let me read what it says. <clears throat> A white nationalist who attends the University of Nevada, Reno, says that he's not the angry racist portrayed in the viral video of him carrying a torch at a white nationalist protest rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Peter Sunjevic... 20, told KTVN that he traveled from Reno to Charlottesville to protest the removal of a Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Uh, the student said he wanted to attend the rally to support the white nationalist movement. Quote, I came to this march for the message that white European culture has a right to be here just like every other culture, Sengenovic opined, 
Quote, it's not perfect. There are flaws to it, of course. However, I do believe that the replacement of the statue will be a slow replacement of white heritage within the United States and the people who fought and defended and built their homeland. Robert E. Lee is a great example of that. He wasn't a perfect man, but I want to honor and respect what he stood for during his time. Sinjenovic said that he never expected the frightening photo to go viral. I did not expect the photo to be shared as much as it was, he noted. I understand the photo has a very negative connotation, but I hope that people sharing the photo are willing to listen that I'm not the angry racist they see in that photo. Sinjenovic added, as a white nationalist, I care for all people. We all deserve a future for our children and for our culture. White nationalists aren't the hateful, aren't hateful. We just want to preserve what we have. Uh, and that's the end of the article. Now here's the thing. I believe him. I believe he believes what he's saying. And I believe at some point in this young man's life, he got to a point where he's like, F this, I can't take this shit anymore. But he, what direction did he move in? You say, well, he's a white nationalist, check, he's a Nazi. No, 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 no. No. See, that's where this feedback loop starts to really get dangerous. Now, he's aligning himself with Nazis. Why? Because they look like they're standing for something. Antifa looks like it's standing for something. So the communists look like they're standing for something, and the fascists look like they're standing for something, and the middle looks like a bunch of idiots that can't figure out where their own ass is, arguing about which extreme group is worse. So what do people that begin to have a fear for what they believe in, have? do they feel they have to do? Well, they have to pick a side. They have to pick a side. I know you're saying, no, they don't, Jack. They don't have to pick a side. I understand that they don't have to pick a side. I'm telling you how they feel. I'm telling you where they end up at intellectually. They feel they have to pick a side, especially college-age kids. Because they're surrounded with it every day. They're immersed in it. They can't get away from it. Imagine being a Those of you that aren't in college today, imagine being a white kid They grew up with a decent life, but wasn't spoiled or whatever. Worked hard, got himself into a decent school. And went to school to learn about something like engineering, or electronics, or computer programming, or history, because he wanted to be a teacher, and go back and teach, or something like that. And all of a sudden you're at this college with all these different races and cultures, and you think it's all cool at first, and so you find out that they all think you suck, unless you hate yourself, and then you're okay. And you have enough fortitude and backbone to say, no, no, I don't suck. And I'm not going to say I suck so that I fit in with you and then you'll say I don't suck. And you're watching these demonstrations and these activities and this, this, this you know, activism in your life every day. And what do you feel like? That's all that there is. Guys, you've got to think psychologically different if you're not in this world. You got to understand what I'm saying. You got to remember what it was like when you were 17 years old and you got into some kind of shit and there was going to be a party Friday night and your parents said you were grounded. You were so myopic. You thought your world was going to be over if you didn't get to go to that party. And right now you think back to that and you think, boy, was I stupid. And I know if that exact scenario never happened to you, That you're going to write that off, well, that's because they're weak-minded. No, there was something like that in your life. That you felt was so damn important 
that, that your world would never be the same if you weren't involved in it because you lived in a false reality because that's what young people do. They shrink their time horizons down to very, very short time horizons. Because right now, if you tell most grown men, 35 years old, hey, the next year of your life's going to suck, but after that it's going to be okay. There's some trial in their life that they know is about a year long. You know what they say? Well, screw it. Screw it. All right, fine. Most people, even weak people, tend to like, by the time you're in your 30s, you're like, I can deal with this shit for a year. This is going to end? Oh, okay. But to a kid, something that's going to be just last a week is an eternity. And these young people are at a turbulent point in their lives where they still feel that way. This girl won't like me because I'm white and I don't hate myself for being white, even though she's white too. And they're having to make these choices. And into all this comes the invisible hand. Comes the invisible hand. Let me, let me read something else to you guys today. Um, and I haven't vetted this to know if this is completely true yet, but this seems at least plausible from the, the baseline research that I've done. Charlottesville Unite the Right organizer was Occupy Wall Street activist and Obama supporter. Well, this is fishy. His name is Jason Kessler. He is the one cited as the organizer of the now infamous Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. The thing is, Mr. Kessler's arrival on the alt-right and or white nationalist scene didn't occur until November 2016. That's right, Kessler didn't start his white nationalist activism until after Donald Trump won the White House. Prior to that, it appears he participated in a far-left socialist Occupy Wall Street movement, as noted by far-left George Soros-funded Southern Poverty Law Center. Rumors abound on white nationalist forms that Kessler's ideological pedigree before 2016 was less than pure and seemed to point his involvement of Occupy movement and past support for President Obama. At one recent speech in favor of Charlottesville's status as a sanctuary city, Kessler live-streamed himself as an attendee and questioned him and as an attendee questioned him and apologized for an undisclosed spat during Kessler's apparent involvement with Occupy. Kessler appeared visibly, pertur visibly perturbed by the woman's presence and reminders of their past association. It also appears that Mr. Kessler was actually a CNN on-site correspondent during the Occupy protests. These are being archived. It appears CNN is attempting to scrub its former affiliation with Mr. Kessler. Um... Okay, and there's more on that, but you can research this for yourself, and I have not completely verified this, but I, I have not been able to disprove this. So what would it mean if the guy that set the whole thing up was formerly part of Occupy Wall Street and connected to a George Soros-funded organization? That maybe they wanted the conflict? See, here's what I'm saying. The whole Nazi and white nationalist thing are similar but different. The people that fancy themselves white nationalists are not for hanging or killing people or setting things on fire. They're not for taking over the government. They are reactionaries who have got tired of being trampled on and say, my culture is as valuable as yours and I should have the same rights that your culture does, including if I want to live a homogenous lifestyle surrounded by nothing but other white people. 
As long as we're not forcing anybody out, if we want to go be left alone, we should be able to do that. But when the Nazis show up, can't tell them to leave. So this kid that's there holding a tiki torch, when he got in his little car and hauled ass from Nevada to West Virginia to stand up for white rights, which if, you, if that word offends you, then so should black rights. I'm sorry, right? Okay. Probably had no idea that he would end up later that week standing with a bunch of people chanting weird shit holding a tiki torch. But when the moment came, he held on to the torch. I'll bet you, if somebody researches this, he had no idea that exact thing was going to happen. Things are easy to manipulate. I want to break away from this for just a second so you can start to understand the hand behind the scenes here. With some rules. Not Alinsky's rules for radicals. Rules for rich people. I've had the pleasure and the displeasure, depending on which ones, to be very closely associated with some very wealthy people over the years. Now, I have friends that are worth a couple million bucks here and there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are worth 60, 70, 100 million dollars. And it's been valuable to me because I've learned the thinking process, and the thinking process can be applied down here at the peon level and make yourself more wealthy. But then... Once you establish the pattern, then you know what to look for in the pattern. Pattern recognition from permaculture. This is basic rich people rule 101 when it comes to anything. You never play one side of anything. We say that as always hedge your bets. Okay? But we don't live that way. The average person says that. They know, oh, always hedge your bets. Yeah, well, how did you hedge your bet? Well, I, I, I didn't hedge my bet. I, I don't know how to hedge my bet, right? So that would mean that when you went and you bet on the, I don't know, the Steelers to win their preseason game last week, and they did, that you had some sort of an offsetting bet so that either you won a little bit or you lost nothing. That would be hedging your bet. You don't try to get a big win every time. You try to get a good win many times and never lose. So you always play both sides. So when two people are running for political office, as, as one of the honest things Donald Trump says when he was running, you give them both money. You give them both money, and then when one of them gets elected and you need something, you can talk to them. Okay. So now, let's kind of keep going with the dialogue here. I hate using the name George Soros because it conjures up, you know, conspiracy theory, this and that. But Soros is a, a multi-billionaire activist for the socialists on the left. And he has got his fingers in everything. And his goal is to destabilize the United States government and turn it into a socialist shithole. He thinks that's what we deserve. Now, I might be dumbing it down a little bit, but you don't have to take my word for it. He said as much. And there's other people like him. He's just the figurehead, right? He's actually a head. He's not a figurehead because he's got the money, right? There's other people like him out there. And there's all these grassroots-looking websites out there, right, on the left, that look like they're just some group of people that got together and, damn it, we've had enough, and we're for truth in media, or we're for social justice. or And when you, when you track back the funding, they're all actually funded and set up and propped up by Soros. 
And when they're going to have a meeting or a protest, because it's embarrassing when five people show up, they go out and hire people, actors, crisis actors, etc., to show up and pretend to protest. That's why a grassroots protest, I'm being big air quotes you can't see right now, will have like a couple hundred people all with professionally made signs show up with something that was organized like three days ago. Doesn't make sense unless there's something hidden behind the scene. Now, most of you in this audience tend to either be anarchist or libertarian, somewhere in that spectrum, voluntarist. So you don't have a big affiliation to either side, or you tend to be somewhat right-leaning. That is the majority of this audience. I know that from correspondence with you guys. Some lean left, but mostly it's what I just said. So when I say that, there's very little resistance to it in this audience, that that shit happens. Okay. What you have to understand is for these types of crises to advance an agenda, there has to be a resistance. There has to be a resistance, and there has to be a conflict between the two groups that resist each other. So, if you are a rich person, following rich person rule number one, which is never play only one side, What is the logical thing that you have to also be doing? You also have to be funding the radical right. You can't do it publicly. You can't do it publicly. Because then it's obvious. But there's plenty of ways to do this without it being publicly. And once you have these groups start to form, so you create one side, it will naturally create a group of resistors. And those resistors will tend to be somewhat rational because they're not being agitated by money that's influencing what they do. So then all you have to do is fund some leadership activities of that group to radicalize them and charge them up and put them into position like a chess piece. And then you just march your other side right up into there since you have full control over them and all hell breaks loose. And if you've so built up the one side that anybody that opposes them is shouted down as a racist and a Nazi and a fascist, even the police back off a little bit. Mayors are afraid. Governors are afraid to declare martial law and put down these groups coming in that have no permit for protest and occupying public property. And I know some of you think, well, you shouldn't have to have a permit to do that, but you do. I don't know that you should have to, but you do. Remember, I'm a pragmatist. I know the way things should be, but I also know the way things are. And if you're going to say to one group, well, if you want to come protest and you have to fill out this paperwork, you have to pay a fee, you have to get this, this permit and all, you can't just let the other group move in and shit all over their thing that they paid for and did properly. But yet you do. Because you can't not let them do it because, well, that would be racist and fascist and all. Because the feedback loop, right? Now, what happens when this starts to happen? Polarization and people that would never associate with either group simply look at the group and go, which one is more against me? And then ever so slightly, they move toward the other group. And once they move a little bit, 
they get more resistance. And because in the spectrum, both sides have valid points, as they become more open to the valid points, they become more manipulated by the messages of hate and anger and the invalid points. And it doesn't matter that not everybody's going to take that journey. All you need is just enough going to either side to create a critical mass or everything comes crashing down in between. And this could all get bad. I mean really, really bad. And what I've been trying to say this whole time, and I hope you get it now, is that attacking either side to the exclusion of the other grows both sides. The media, you know, just basically, well, they're just antrophists. There's some angry college kids, and they really are concerned about the lack of social justice. And, yeah, a few bad apples broke some windows, but oh, what are you going to do? They've been arrested, and the group itself is really just in opposition to fascists. And how can we not all be in opposition to fascists? And, you know, yeah, they like set Seattle on fire the day after this thing in Charlottesville, but we're not going to talk about that at all. We're just going to keep going on and on and on and on and on about how this is all the fault of neo-Nazis and three people are dead because of neo-Nazis, even though two of them are police officers who were in a helicopter that really had nothing to do with neo-Nazis or white nationalists or white supremacists or the alt-right or conservatives, or whatever. When you do that, here's the dynamics. You would think, well, that would enrage the people that are more tending toward the right. Yeah? And you'd be right. So what's that do? It drives them to greater response, greater reactionism, and it pushes them further toward the extreme. They become more open. They start to pay attention to the legitimate points. The legitimate points change their viewpoint. They are now more appalled by the left. So they move further in. And they become more polarized. But what happens to the left? The left should feel good about themselves. Well, they do. They feel emboldened. They feel like, hey, we're right. We must be right. They never say bad shit about us. It's only those evil Nazis that say, and by the way, anybody that says anything negative about us, they're a Nazi. They're a fascist. They're, they're a bigot. They're a racist. Anybody that says anything bad about us is bad. You can tell they're bad just because they oppose us. In any way, shape, or form, they're bad. So the people that naturally will tend to that side will go, hey, that's where the cool kids are. So we grow that side too. So you have two growing extremist groups. And what you have in these conflicts, where you see all these people in the streets and people start throwing punches at each other and shit, the majority of people there, day to day in their lives, are non-violent people. So all you need is a few violent sociopathic assholes on both sides to create physical conflict, and those people will, mob mentality will take over, I gotta defend my side, and nonviolent people will be violent, and the true violent people never get hurt, they always stand back at the sidelines, they're always the one chanting, they're always the one instigating, they're the one that'll pick up a rock, and throw it into a crowd, 
But you won't see them out there, you know, in a baseball stance getting ready to launch it. They're the ones that pick one up when no one's looking and throw a hook shot over their head. And then they shove somebody in the back. And then they say, that asshole did it. He's the one that got hit with the rock. And they step back and go, huh, that's great. And that advances the cause of both sides. But whoever's the instigator at that point, generally it advances their side. And that's how it can go really wrong. And the reason it can go wrong, so effing wrong, is the programming is so effing deep for one thing. Dichotomic rules. America is like binary society, and I don't mean black and white. I mean binary like computer code. We work in ones and zeros. We're on or off. We have been conditioned and trained since we were little tiny children, and very few of us have actually taken the red pill and gotten out of this, that there are two sides to every issue, and you have to pick one. I mean, you can see it when you tell somebody you don't vote. You don't vote. Oh, you can't bitch if you don't vote. Uh, a soundbite is not a well-reasoned logical argument. No, no, men fought and died for your right to vote. Okay, well, I'm going to vote for a Democrat. Ah, oh, that's horrible. Or I'm going to vote for a Republican. No, you can't do that. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said you wanted me to vote. Well, you really wanted me to vote your way. But they don't get that upset when you tell me you're going to vote. For some, I'm going to vote third party. Oh, you're wasting your vote. But that's your right, right? But I'm not going to vote. Ah, oh, ah, oh, that's evil, right? Because they've chosen one side. And we have, just, as, just to be defendant of the people that choose to vote, we have people on the I don't vote thing. Everybody that votes is, is committing an act of violence on somebody else. By the way, all voting is meaningless. Well, you can't have it both ways. If it's meaningless, it can't be violence. If it's violence, it can't be meaningless, right? So, you again, you just see that dichotomy. It's a polarization. We are trained to polarization. I did a whole show on this many years ago called The Great Lie of Dichotomy. Well, when you introduce an extremist dynamic into a group of people who have been conditioned almost since birth to think in a dichotomic viewpoint, there is no other result that you're going to get other than the majority of people will pick a side over time. And as both sides grow, the middle becomes weaker. The voice of the middle, the voice of sanity, the voice of anybody that's rational becomes weaker to the point where both sides shout down the peacemaker in the middle. And blame them as being the other side. And I say this all the time. The way I know I am truly a voluntarist is on a daily basis I get accused of being a libtard socialist and a Nazi fascist at the same time for the same opinion. I mean, really. Right? I mean, I don't mean just like I say one thing here and one thing there and I'm called a liberal here and, and, a, and a nutjob conservative there. I mean, I make a single statement somewhere. And I'm attacked for that statement as being the other side by both sides at the same time. And they don't even know they're doing it. Like, you guys should fight it out between yourselves. Right? He's, like, instigate that. Like, okay, he says I'm a socialist. Tell him why he's wrong. He says I'm a, I'm a conservative. Tell him why he's wrong. You guys, go. Right? Say so you feel like I'm not a troll like that, though. But I feel like doing that sometimes. Right? I feel like the, the meme where Einstein is on a bicycle driving away with a smile. There's a nuclear bomb going off behind him. My work here is done. Sometimes I feel that way. Um, but the real people really doing that aren't doing it as some kind of effing joke. They're doing it to try to destroy America. 
and all the things that make America great. And that includes white America, black America, Asian America, Native America, the ideal of America, the true ideal of America that's never been fully realized, is independent of race, freedom, and liberty is what America is supposed to really be about. And if you have true freedom and true liberty, you can't have control. And that's what they fear is a lack of control. But here's what the people that are in these positions of power do not understand right now. If either side wins, everybody loses, including them. If you go to an extreme dichotomy in America, and either the left or the right wins, both in some kind of massive revolution, would pull the current government officials out of their ivory castles and hang them in the streets and set them on fire. They might choose different people to replace them with, but that's what both sides would do. So, what's the best we can hope for in this? The guy that I mentioned that did a really good piece on this that got me thinking and made me want to do today's show said we can reform the system from the center, populist viewpoint, fix the broken government. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't think we can. Because the government's broken. But the government was broken long before all this shit was going on. Okay? And by the way, this whole neo-Nazi shit, this isn't new. Some of you people are young, so you're more terrified by this than those of us who have been around a few decades, right? We've seen this shit before. Okay? But... The best we can hope for is it basically does what it's done before. There's some flashpoints, there's some angst, there's some anger, there's some bombs thrown, you know, as far as Molotov cocktails and shit like that. Some cars are turned over, more windows are busted out of shops, whatever, but in the end it kind of ebbs off and people go off and bitch about something else. And it's just another cycle of the same dynamic that's been going on for 50, 60 years now. Okay. Best we can hope for. Was the most likely outcome. A far more polarized America where we move further into polarization based on political party. We move into a society where civil unrest becomes far more common. It's not just on your TV. It's in your backyard. If you're anywhere near any kind of a population center. I want you to think about the Charlottesville is not like Seattle or Austin or Dallas or Atlanta or L.A. It's it's a pretty small place. It, it really is. It's a city of about 46,000 people. 46,000 people. I mean, it's, it's middle America, guys. And you think about the fact that the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex has about 6.5 million people. Charlottesville has 46,000 people. And yeah, there was a flashpoint there, a statue. See, it was an excuse. And I'm telling you, the majority of people that were at both protests were not locals. See, and that's what I'm saying. That's where this, 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 some weird need to defend one cockroach over the other comes up. You have all these people saying all these Antifa people were bust in. Yes, they were. But we just read a story about a kid that drove there from Nevada. Not exactly local, is he? And, 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 and so what you're seeing is when there's a hot point, both groups are waiting for the opportunity to engage with each other. Because let me tell you something. 
The people behind Unite the Right would have been very disappointed if no counter-protesters showed up. They would have gotten almost no media coverage whatsoever. They probably wouldn't have done any real damage. They wouldn't have been out smashing street corners and or smashing you know windows on street corners or anything like that. They would have come there, they would have run their mouths, and then they would have went home and nothing would have happened. They need confrontation to be effective. And the Antifa people are much more effective when they have confrontation. So they are a little quicker to violence. In fact, they're a lot quicker to violence. Because they're big on, hey, it's the proletariat, man. We're back in the proletariat. The bourgeois is over there. They got to go. So the bourgeois happens to be the guy that owns the Starbucks. They smash the windows out of it or something like that. But, but in the end, they're both looking for the opportunity. So what I think you're going to see is this will get a lot worse before it gets better. It's going to affect a lot more people. You're going to start seeing people hurt and killed who are not part of this, who don't want anything to do with this, who are not there to protest, who are not even there to observe the, 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 standing, the people standing by, the people passing through. By the way, I have to kind of apologize to the guy that ran over the girl and hurt the other 19 protesters a little bit. Um, I found out over the last day, that it's at least plausible that as he was driving through the area, he was driving slowly, he was being shouted at, people were hitting his car, and that it might be that he panicked when he took off. It might also be that he went there looking for a fight and then freaked out. It might be also that he went there looking for a fight and needed the, needed them to razz him up to the point where he had the courage to do what he wanted to do. I don't know. I'm not inside the guy's head. But what I said yesterday is basically you should be set on fire. Thankfully, I don't have that kind of authority because that was being rash. And it does make Donald Trump basically condemning both sides and not really saying anything about him when first asked make a little more sense, doesn't it? Because we can remember a former president behaved stupidly, was his own words, when he talked about something else as people behaving stupidly, and it turned out it was him behaving stupidly, and his beer summit didn't make it go away. So maybe having a little bit of restraint, which is not something Trump's known for, but maybe in that case was a good idea. I don't know. But my point now is because we live in a state-based system with a state-based justice system, that's why we have juries and courts. And they'll have to look at all of the evidence that went on there. But you won't hear any of that from the media. No. Not unless that becomes his defense and they have to cover it and talk about it. And it'll still be, well, he's a Nazi, so. It's not how America works. That's not how America works. I kiss my wife to this sometimes, so she'll be watching this stuff. She'll be like, well, if they don't like that, they should just leave. And I'm like, that's not how America works. We don't tell people because you don't like it, leave. That is the feedback loop. That's the same as you're a racist, you're a bigot, right? That's the same as you're a libtard. That's the same as you're, you're a communist. Because the majority of people that are saying, well, Antifa's not that bad, don't know what Antifa is. They don't know what communist is, and they're not communists. They just think that side seems like they have more going for them than the other bad side. Because America's that easy to control. Okay, so what's, what's the worst possible result? 
I'm going to tell you that I think the chances of this are like a 1%. But the worst possible result is a complete overthrow of the government by one side or the other. Either through some sort of semi-legitimate means or by actually dragging Congress clowns into the streets and the street flows with the blood of the government and they're strung up and set on fire. That's the worst possible. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that is the potential here. You have the potential for a new Nazi Germany or a new Stalin's Russia. And with it being the most advanced and powerful nation that's ever existed, ever. How horrifying is that? And even if it's a one-tenth of one percent chance, don't you think we should stop stepping in that direction? And don't you think we should prepare for some level of calamity and problems? So, What's the solution here? I think one of the big solutions is the center needs to stop being silent. And the, st the center, when I say center, I mean any rational, logical person that's not an extremist on either side, needs to stop taking sides or gravitating in any way whatsoever toward either side. Neither side is worthy of defense. It might be that one species of roach is a little less of a problem when they infest your house. It doesn't mean you defend them. It doesn't mean that you, you point out that one might be a little bit better. They're both cockroaches. And what did we do to cockroaches? We exterminate them. Now, we're not going to go around exterminating Antifa and neo-Nazis. We're not going to do that. That's not how America works. That's not how we work at all. But if you understand the way that you exterminate an ideology is to destroy its power base. And both of them need extreme resistance and to be defended. So you remove both. You condemn both. And if they want to fight, you let those very tiny minorities fight all by themselves. And whatever damage they do, they're held accountable for. And whoever they harm, they're held accountable for. And neither side is the group of cool kids, and they're all scum, and that needs to be the mindset of every rational American. If we do that, this thing goes away very, very quickly. I don't think it's likely, though. I think that middle scenario of things getting a lot worse, but staying somewhat contained, is more likely. Because Americans are so damn easily led. The average American has turned into an idiot. It's not their fault. They've been trained to be idiots. They can't think for themselves. They can't articulate the basic common sense shit that I'm telling you today. They can't understand it. There's many people out there today. You could say, listen to this guy. Talk about this for about an hour today. He'll explain it to you. And you go, they would come back and say, he's a socialist or he's a white supremacist. After what I've said. Like, what the, the hell are you... Whichever side, they decided in their head that I must be more for, that's what I am, the extreme version of it. And that's what I think of you too. I do think that if you live near a major population center, especially if you drive through it, work in it, etc., you need to be paying big-time attention to what's going on in your area. 
I think whenever any of these rallies and protests and shit like that go on, get away. Don't be involved. Don't be there to be a citizen journalist. Don't be there to be the militia as a neutral force to make sure everybody can be heard. Don't be there. Don't be there. You'll do no good by being there. All you are is a potential target in a crossfire. Defend neither side. And then in general, keep prepping. Because what happens in these situations is you get into a point where you have to be able to be self-sufficient for a while or defend yourself. But I think the most important thing right now is situational awareness, paying attention to where this shit is going on. Because as of right now, none of it's spontaneous. We know exactly where and when it's all going to happen. Don't go there. Don't go there. But above all, I think one of the most important things we can do, turn off the television. Turn off the television. That's where the invisible hand is doing the most of its work. Really. It's all designed to control you. It's all designed to condition you. It's all designed to elicit an emotional response to you, for, from you. And it's all designed, above all things, to make you pick a side. And the more extreme of a side you pick, the better it is for those in control. Because the more we're divided, the greater their control. And again, like I'm saying, one of the things they may not realize when they start playing around with this, they could lose it all. They could lose it all. Now, the truly elite, this is the reason they'll do it. The Jim Rogers of the world and shit, they're not going to lose it all. But the people playing politics with this... The mid-level mafia bosses, you call them congressmen and governors and presidents, cabinet members and shit, this is not something to play with. This is not something to play with at all. Anyway, I have links to all the things I covered today and links to the uh, speech by the gentleman I mentioned that I didn't play uh, about many of these same ideals. You might want to listen to him. He might explain it to you a little bit differently, more in the context of the Weimar Republic and what happened there and how that could happen here. And again, while I don't agree with everything he has to say, I think what he has to say is largely correct, spot on intellectually, and important toward understanding the dynamic that we're covering today. Okay, with that, I'm done for this with this shit for a while, guys. I'm making a commitment to you that next Tuesday we are... Um, I'm not going to be talking about something like this. We'll talk about something fun. Uh, next Monday, we'll listen to feedback. I don't even care if stuff comes in on this. I'm covering other stuff. If I have to, if I don't get some good general questions or whatever, or economic questions or something like that, or homesteading questions, I'll make my own damn ones up. We're going to get off this a while because now I feel like I've done what I'm responsible to do for you. I've pointed to the problem. I see this as a powder keg. I see that this could get really, really bad. And I know that the only safe place is this is this is War Games, man. The War Games 1980s movie, right? The only the only intelligent decision is not to play the game. All right, so we're gonna do some other things. On that, if you like the show and the work that I do, please consider doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Whenever you're gonna shop on Amazon, just go to tspaz.com first. And check out my reviews, and you can get on over to Amazon from there. And anything you do after that with your online shopping helps support the Survival Podcast. I have a product for you today. Nothing to do with what we were talking about at all. But this is a product that I believe belongs in the toolkit of every single prepper, homesteader, etc. 
It's a titanium step drill bit set. has three different step bits and a punch. And this is a good one for a good price. Okay, And I recommend it, but honestly, any good step bit set is a good thing to have. What's a step bit? They're also called unibits, as in like one bit for everything. And they're a drill bit. And what you do is you stick them in your drill and you start drilling a hole and like the first one maybe drills like an eighth inch and then you know a little bit bigger and then like seven sixteenths and then like you know one half and then like nine sixteenths and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the biggest one here will drill all the way up to a three quarter inch hole. And I don't like the term unibit. I like the term step bit. And the reason is they're not really a universal bit because each one of the steps is about a quarter inch. So you imagine if you drilled a two by four. Right, you'd have if you if you didn't drill all the way through to the maximum diameter of the bit, you'd have a cone-shaped hole, which is usually not what you're looking for. Though there can be times when that's advantageous, right? But they do work really well, especially for thinner stock, plywood, plastic, metal. I use it in my aquaponics system all the time. You know, it's it, there's not a lot of three-quarter inch drill bits laying around, right? And then you have to drill a hole and a bigger hole and whatever. I just take a the step bit with a three-quarter inch uh, step to it, and you start out with your little hole and all the way through, drill your tanks out, pop your bulkhead in, bam, you're good to go. I use it when I make um, fermenters out of juice bottles in the lid. And anytime I need a hole, you know, I have my step bits, and there's probably a, a hole size that'll work. They're pretty cool. I have an article. I even tell you how to do things like not get tears and rips and sharp edges with your metal. You can check it out at tspaz.com. The Vastar titanium step drill bit set. And at least you think this is expensive. You get three bits and a punch. 13 bucks. Again, I think it belongs in your toolkit. Remember, anytime you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, no matter what you buy, you help support the survival podcast. Let's tell you about our TSP YouTuber today. Uh, this comes from Shannon. Shan says, Hi, Jack. My future husband, Matt, is crazy awesome. He's a survivalist, preparedness advocate, outdoorsman, teacher, gardener, father, and the hardest working man I know. We are getting a small urban homestead underway here in southeast Massachusetts. He is a huge fan of yours uh, and of TSP. We listen together, so I heard your request for channel suggestions. His is right up your alley, in my opinion. Here's his YouTube channel he has been working on, Animal Man Survivor. Pretty cool channel, just getting started, has about 4,000 subscribers, and uh, it is a cool channel with some cool videos, I have a link in today's show notes, check them out, Animal Man Survivor. Last but not least, our song for the day is, uh, once again, John Adam kind of hitting it perfectly with a song that fits the show, when neither of us could know, because... Yesterday, I didn't know that this show would be on this, and I don't ever actually look at his song selections until the day that I'm doing the show. This is Bob Marley, and at first you might not think this really fits today's show, um, but the song is called Get Up, Stand Up, and unless you lived under a rock for the last 30 years, you've probably heard this song, even if you don't listen to reggae. It's probably the one reggae song almost everybody's heard. You know, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights, right? Um Well, this song is about taking action to avoid oppression. Bob Marley wrote it with Peter Tosh, and the song was influenced by their upbringing in Jamaica where they had to fight for respect and acceptance for their Rastafarian religion. Now, a lot of people probably heard the term Rastafarian and think, yeah, what else? Whatever. Do you know what Rastafarians believe? That blacks are God's chosen people. 
and that one day they will return, all of them will return to Africa. And other things too, but that's one of the core tenets and beliefs. And there's a lot of people that say, that's kind of like a racist thing and all. Don't, don't the Jewish people believe that they're God's chosen people and that eventually they'll all return to the homeland? You see, we can all have these differences in our views, on our religious and our beliefs and our lack of religion or lack of beliefs, and we can all actually get along. And we can all stand up for our rights. But if you're going to stand up for your rights, you have to stand up for the rights of everybody. If there's a solution to these two extremes that are currently warring for the minds of America, it is to stand up in unity and say that everybody has a right to anything they want in their life as long as they're not taking it from someone else or harming someone else in the pursuit of it. That as a white man, I should embrace as a brother my fellow white men, black men, women, as sisters, right? That I should be, as a deist, I should embrace the Christian, the Rastafarian, as long as they don't infringe on my rights to do what I want. Everybody. Everybody has their right to their way until they infringe on the way of another. That's the only real way to combat this. It will work. Or I should say it would work. I have 100% confidence in the fact that if the majority of people who actually do tend to believe that would stand up and say that's what they believe, that things would get better. As a preparedness advocate, I have to tell you I have my doubts about it happening. That doesn't mean that all of us who are awake shouldn't stand up and get up and stand up for your rights. With that, it's been Jack Spierko for another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.